Welcome back to Warriors Den, episode 107, with today's guest, Utkim Bluebelt and assistant instructor Petra Forrester. On that note, here's a little snippet of what she had to say about the Bluebelt test. Physically, it was was hard on me. Um, but I mean, I think the most important part to remember is um, just keep going, don't give up. Yeah. And, uh, usually I have my face where I think, oh, I hate everybody in the world, and <laughs> especially you. Especially me. That's what all students feel when they take the test. Before I get into this episode, here's a word from our sponsors. Thank you for listening to the Warrior's Den podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram at Urban Tactics Krav Maga, and Twitter at Urban Tactics KM. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble at Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Another great way to support this podcast, as well as our other content, is to check out our blog at www.utkmblog.com. Here you can check out our weekly curriculum, our various blog posts, and general ideas about Krav Maga and self-defense. For those of you feeling generous, you can also click on the Support Us tab and send donations our way so we can continue providing the awesome content you love. And for those who would like a little more for their money, you can check out www.utkmu.com and learn Krav Maga and self-defense online as we teach it at our school. You can check out the various levels of curriculum with monthly or annual subscriptions and learn Krav Maga so that you too can walk in peace. Small disclaimer, UTKMU is meant to supplement your regular Kramaga self-defense or martial arts training in person with qualified instructors and is not a substitute for in-person real training. And for those of you who want to look as good as I know you feel, you can always check out www.utkmshop.com where you can check out and buy the latest UTKM merch from us. Warning, wearing UTKM merch will not turn you from a lamb to a lion. To start your transformation from lamb to lion, you must start your training journey today. Stay consistent and never give up wherever you may be. Side effects of wearing UTK merch may be chronic bouts of kicking ass, feeling good, and learning to walk in peace. And of course, if you are in the Metro Vancouver area, come train with us in person. Sign up at www.urbantacticskm.com. I would love to help you on your journey from lamb into lion. And now, back to the episode. Okay. So Petra is my right-hand helper at UTKM for those who uh, come and train with us in person. And she has made amazing journeys since she first started with us. Uh, you can check her out on the previous episode that she was on. I believe it's episode 85 or 86. I'll link it in the notes. And you can check out her journey in depth. Um, she is now a UTKM blue belt, the first of many to come she is a judo black belt she is a uh, bjj blue belt and she is continuing her martial arts journey uh, every day now in this episode you also get to see her cat which uh, interrupts the episode many times because you know cats pay attention to me so one of the reasons i had her on is because petra asked me to come on which is wonderful and because she felt that she didn't really talk about socialism properly 
in our last episode. For those who don't know, Petra came, grew up in East Germany under uh, the former USSR and grew up in a authoritarian socialistic um, country. And we do talk about martial arts and teaching and uh, the world around us, but she really wants people to understand that while socialism to a limited degree has merits, right, socialized healthcare can be good, extreme centralized governments under socialist regimes just become authoritarian governments, regardless whether it be a fascist authoritarian government, whether it be a socialist authoritarian government, authoritarianism under a centralized regime is bad. And so she has to come on to further expand this topic. And as always with me, I'm meandering and we talk about a variety of topics. We starting with the Blue Belt experience and move through to the world and uh, around us and her thoughts expanding on that topic. And just for some kicks, here's some photos of her Blue Belt test before we get to the episode. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system, it is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Okay, I am here with Petra Forrester, UTKM Blue Belt, and Assistant Instructor. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I am good. Still working on my setup here with the two headphones for those watching the video. Waiting for some parts to come in. And Petra is joined by the guest, if you were watching the video. Yes, this is Rambo. The cat that as soon world. as the camera went on is like, I'm going to sit right in front of it. <laughs> so I thought we would start with uh, your recent Blue Belt, UTKM Blue Belt experience and just tell people how that was for you. Um, well, I mean, it was hard to get... Um, I mean, I was trying to prepare myself as I did for the green belt test. Mm. Um, you were trying to make it easier for me by saying it will not be as physically demanding as the green belt test. Well, it wasn't in some ways. It's different. In some ways, but in other ways, it was worse. <laughs> yeah. And um, also, first, we had like five hours planned for the test. And then at the end, it was seven. Was um, it longer? It was... I was guessing. <laughs> Um, it was it was intense, and um, I went in blind pretty much. I didn't. I mean, I had a rough idea what's going on, but um, like physically, it was was hard on me. Um, but I mean, I think the most important part to remember is um, just 
keep going don't give up yeah and, uh, usually i have my face where i think oh, i hate everybody in the world and <laughs> especially you but i didn't yes. have it this time so that was that was a first that's good um and for the writing um it was just enough time to answer all the questions and you also because you like those essay questions um it was just enough time to get as much information as you can on the paper that's good um, I think I would yeah. just want to clarify because, you know, everyone, every crowdfunding organization has different standards. When she means we, she went in blind, it's because normally you have an opportunity to help out or see tests that go on yellow, orange, green, and you'll have an idea of what it's about. But Petra being the first blue belt, because we've been at school since 2012, and she's the first person to stick it, or it's 2013 legally, but the first person to stick it out long enough to get to the rank of blue belt. So she was the proverbial guinea pig so yeah. i put it for five hours not sure how long it's going to take it took about seven and which includes some written because at the higher levels you need to show understanding not just technique which is possibly different than a lot of other organizations who just want you to punch them in the face and show them how good you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean as you said every school is different and uh but having the having to be um like having to challenge yourself having to push yourself it's uh that's just part what um it makes it appealing to me because if you're just like, getting handed stuff that's just doesn't make it worthwhile but if you really have to work hard and for me it's always still interesting to see how far i can push myself like physically how far i can go yeah and uh, yeah, because I don't consider myself an athlete. I mean, okay, I have been training martial arts for a long time, but um, only because I'm training, that does not mean that I'm an athlete. So it's, but you no, know, no, just also mentally, it's, um, but after the blue belt test, I was just thinking, okay, I'm ready for whatever comes next. Yeah, I mean, like that, that whole athlete question, it's like, I'm not an athlete. You know, I have those pictures on, on Instagram that people are like, oh, my God, you're so motivated. And then what people don't know is I'm kind of lazy. And in order for me to maintain <laughs> any sense of athleticism, you got to put in the work. Because I think when mm. people think martial artists, they're like, oh, my God, athletes. But it's because the average person in the 21st century is so unhealthy and un like not in shape that anyone who is physical uh, it's like a challenge and, and from people like me and you, we look up to like the competitive athletes and we're like, we're not yeah. that, which, and they're on a whole nother level. Uh, but that does not mean you can't do it. That's the myth that, right? Obviously you can, you've proven it multiple times now because the previous year you'd done your judo, uh, black belt, uh, mm. how would you compare those processes? Well, I mean, for judo, I, it was, a really really long journey for me to get my black belt um i was getting ready for my black belt test when i was still back in germany in 2002 i think and then i got injured and unfortunately i had to postpone everything and then life happened i moved around so that was really a, a long journey for me to get my judo black belt and the judo training in canada is a little bit different than it was for me in germany um in Germany, we still that my instructors really were focused on teaching us as many techniques from the from the Gokyo as possible. So, for those who don't know uh, Gokyo, it means this is the basic uh, forty throws that you learn in judo as 
at least as we were taught it back in East Germany. And for each belt, so yellow, orange, green, blue, brown, you had a set of eight throws and then some ground techniques. So for the yellow belt test, you had to show those eight techniques and the ground. And then for orange, you had to show 16 techniques and so on and so forth. So it, um, it was already more thorough, I find, which mm. gave me also a little bit of an edge because I already was Ger working on- The German on way being more thermal. It, the German it, way was more thorough, how, I find. How, how unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Germans and their like OCD, <laughs> those yeah. things. Um, yeah, so that helped me a lot. And because I had been training for so long, I know um, we always say body memory and they say, no, that's not body memory. It's your nervous system. Yeah. Um, but it was still my nervous system even after my long break when I came back and started judo again here in Canada. And I was already working on the, uh, on the kata back in Germany too. So this was still there. And uh, I just had, to, I guess I trained. Um, so the journey for the judo black belt was way, way longer just because mm. of how it happened to me, but it was not as physically demanding as the, uh, uh Krav Maga blue belt test or the other tests that we had mentally because too, I would imagine. the mental aspect is just uh, very different. Yeah. So you when can you, do yeah, when under you, stress. <laughs> yeah. And when you're, when you're doing self-defense, you have a, have a different purpose for it. Right. Yeah. When you're doing judo as a as a sport, there is rules. When you step on the mat, there is referees. There is some kind of safety. Um, but self defense is really it's supposed to help you when when push comes to shove and you really have to fight for it. And you cannot always pick and choose, or you can never pick and choose when you're being attacked by a uh, by an opponent. So well, you can try to just, avoid, but you know it is not always possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, of course. Yeah. Well, I'm writing a blog series on the Kyle Rittenhouse case about from a just like a legal perspective mm. from self-defense as pure self-defense perspective and uh, uh, what's it called? And a moral perspective. And it's like there are three distinct aspects of the self-defense that people, you know, don't always understand. And everyone always watches the John Wick uh, movies and is like, that's self-defense. It's like, no, not really. No. <laughs> It's interesting when we have new students coming on in, in Krav Maga and we have this conversation about difference between self-defense and street fight. And I find it always very interesting that people don't have that on their radar at all. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> they don't yeah, What's your perception? Because like, I'm frustrated. I, I know it's a common, mm. common thing. I'm frustrated with the sort of ignorance of the general public. I mean, part of it is, you know, it's my job to teach it, but people come in with, to quote Bruce Lee, you know, come in with an empty cup and people come in with such full cups about what their expectations yeah. are. Granted, I say things people don't like, I accept that, but uh, uh, just the, the basic idea that they come in with a, a preconceived notions of what they're supposed to mm -hmm. learn. And when they're not learning that, they get upset. What's, what's your perspective on that? Um, well, I mean, I'm so far, I was very lucky. Most of our students understand that. Mm -hmm. And um, when I when I have newer students come in and I talk to them and try to explain to them what is the difference, or even sometimes just people I meet or coworkers, or I just, um, one day I was in mediation, it took forever. And we just talked about this and that. So sometimes when it comes up and just 
uh, just the idea to understand that when there is a street fight, it means that two people agree to fight each other as compared to a self-defense scenario when one person does not want to fight, does not want to be attacked, and the other person with, let's say, malicious intent tries to attack for money, life, or any other thing they want to obtain from them. It's, um, it's the same, um, I think also a lot of people who do martial arts have a very different perception of that too. So I had this conversation with uh, one of my judo friends and he also was um, talking about um, another self-defense school and he was talking about that they have no honor and, and things like that. And then I was also trying to explain, well, self-defense means you have to do whatever you can to get out of that situation alive, which means mm. you can kick in the groin, you can fight dirty if you want to call it that. Yeah. And um, and I tried to explain, well, it's self-defense. The One person decided to be aggressive and the other person did not agree to that. Yeah. That's the difference to having two people agree to beat the shit out of each other. You should just tell them, uh, you, you should look at Miyamoto Masashi, the famous Japanese samurai, and a lot of other samurais thought he had no honor, yet he won. And when it's life and death, you want to win. <laughs> when it's life or death, honor my ass. Yeah. <laughs> It's just you do whatever you can. Yeah. I just wonder how mm. much of the honor mm. is a modern creation and how much is actually the way people were. Because I think that while the Japanese traditionally, where a lot of the traditional martial arts come from, like judo, or, you know, they're a much more honor based and, and you know, socially based culture than, than a lot of other places. There's still, when it came to life or death, they people they just played by different rules in battle than people think and i just people have these like think, glorified ideas in their heads i think i think those ideas came when um the samurai caste became obsolete hmm. when um i think when J japan entered the modern age let's say and there was just there for there was just no well what do you want to call it there was just nothing left for samurais to do because their way of life became obsolete just by the new um, modern technologies and just how uh, the social life has changed. Yeah. And I think just to maybe maintain their purpose, they were now focusing on this philosophical and mental aspect of honor and studying and reading and working on yourself and uh, try to be a better person than you were yesterday. Mm. You know, it's an interesting perspective because I was just listening to something about like the, the state of uh, religious identity in the U.S. and how less and less people are identifying as religion, religious. Now, like when I was growing up, I didn't think much of religion because I, what I'm coming to the realization is that I don't like the explanations of a lot of religious ideologies. But then when you really dig into a lot of religions, it's about giving you a framework not to be a total piece of crap <laughs> and yeah. you know in the absence of battle and i might die tomorrow uh and i have a family to support or, or honor what keeps you in line it's like you need to create a strict code of behavior in order to not act like a total ass <laughs> and we're seeing that no society, and i agree I yeah yeah so no i like, agree for me um, because I grew up without religion. My parents, they were Lutherans or Protestants, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, but they um, 
kind of canceled their membership, if you want to call it that, because they also didn't agree what, how it was, how it is being handled. My dad always said, he has no issues with God and everything up there. It's the ground staff he has issues with. And (laughs) pretty much sums it up. Yeah, because in Germany, like you're obligated to be a member of the religion. It's like a state thing or no? No, and no, you can't. You can still choose, and you can always opt out. I'm, for example, I'm not even baptized or Christianized, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But I also was born in East Germany, and yeah. under social socialist right guidelines, uh, religion was bad. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, and you know, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's a very different there than say here. Like, you have to pay something, and then you have to like opt out of it. How, like, how does that yeah. work? So, yeah, in Germany, when you're Christianized, obviously it starts when you're being born. If you're being born to, let's say, Catholic parents, most of the time they decide that you also have to be Catholic, so which means you're being Christianized and you have to go through all those traditions and procedures and um, life events. And then once you're part of the working class and you're getting uh, paid, Um, you're automatically getting deducted a certain percentage from your wage, and that's going directly to the church, to the Catholic church. Mm. Very different than here. That only applies for the Catholic church, yeah. Yeah. And you really have to, um, I'm not sure how that works exactly. I think you have to fill out a form. You really have to go uh, go through some procedures to say, I I don't want to be a member of this um, institution anymore, and I want to opt out. Yeah. So when you're, so in Germany, when you're um, moved from city to city, so you have to go to the town hall and you have to let them know that you have moved and your address needs to be updated. And then they also have um, check boxes there. Are you uh, Lutheran? Are you Ca- Roman Catholic or others? Yeah. And then you have to let them know. So for me, it's always, of course. Yes. You others. must let them know. <laughs> Here we're like, yeah, I don't want you to know. Or you just say other and then say nothing. Now, isn't it just interesting, like, has your perspective, like, we can get into the East Germany thing again. I'll just remind people that uh, audio only, though, but last time Petra was on an episode uh, 85, I believe, and we were talking a lot about her growing up in East Germany. Um, have, but now, obviously, I grew up here, you grew up there, but, and so people's perspectives change as they grow, but has your perspective changed at religion, like, even if you're not religious, but has have you, as you grow older, like have different perspectives on that at all? Yes, when I uh, when I was a child, I was of course, uh, religion is bad, mm. um, and I couldn't understand how people could follow those cults or those sects. For me, it was really like like that. I perceived it like that, um, how they could follow them. And once when I grew older, during you know getting more experience, becoming more mature. I understand, as you said, that's, I think the origin of religion, like you, I agree, that's just a set of guidelines, how to behave in a community, in a social group, to have some structure. Um, And I also understand that life can be pretty hard. (laughs) You think, yeah. And whatever helps you get through the day, that's just what you have to do. I mean, Uh, For me, it's martial arts. Other people find peace in the church or in any other religion. So it's just, as long as people don't, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because one of my guests I had on a a little while ago, he was talking about Buddhism. 
Uh, and he said, you know, one of the philosophies of Buddhism or one of the sects of Buddhism was, you know, life is suffering. And I was listening to the Lex Friedman podcast recently, and he said life is suffering too. And it's like, if you accept life is suffering, a lot of people need something to, to uh, help them through the day. But on sort of a more modern scientific, I don't know, approach to that, when you, when you look into humans, without adversity, if you want to call it suffering, humans wither and die and become like meaningless blobs of flesh and electrical signals. And it's just like, if you, when you start to understand that a little bit more that we need purpose and we need meaning and growth comes through adversity and be forced to change and adapt, it's like, it makes a lot more sense. But when you're just like, life is suffering, it's like, well, why would anyone want to live then? And it's, it's, it's like, yeah. uh, when you start learning broader like philosophy and biology it's like actually it's a lot of the basic tenets of these ideologies they make a lot of sense even if the explanations have been completely bastardized mm. uh, over the last thousand years or whatever depending on the religion of course yeah and yeah. abused for for their own purposes sometimes yeah well That's, it's i mean there was a reason yeah. why why luther was uh uh, ruffling the feathers a little bit because he was not happy how the Catholic Church uh, treated people and how they, how the whole institution was run back then. Yeah, believe it or not, they used, I don't know if they still do, but when I was going to high school, they taught that history in history class about Lutheranism. I, I don't remember the year. For those who don't know, Lutheran, Lutheranism was the first sort of westernized cis split from the Catholic Church. Uh, of course, you had like the Greek Orthodox and the uh, like Armenian Orthodox, but as far as Western separation uh, of the uh, Roman Catholic Church, that was one of the first major separations. And after that, it started becoming more and more common. Uh, then you had like the Church of England under uh, Henry VIII because the Catholic Church wouldn't give him a divorce. Uh, and then yeah, some for of the other, some yeah. reasons. <laughs> Political mostly. They didn't want to lose control yeah. in England. Among There's lots of documentaries on that one. Um, but it's just one of the first, like, hey, you don't have to follow the Catholic Church and you can do other stuff. I don't know. You can add on to that. My history is really rough. Well, I mean, on one of Luther's biggest accomplishments, well, what I find is, first of all, he was raised Catholic. He was a Catholic monk. Yeah. So usually when you grow up in those institutions, that's all you know. And most of the time, those people are not inclined to create any change. But he was a person who saw the flaws and he was able to critically think and mm -hmm. see that there is a lot of things going wrong and back then when people went to the to the church to the masses um it was all in latin yeah and the bible was still in latin so what he did he translated it into german of course there is i'm sure that's for me mistakes, but <laughs> but he wanted to make it accessible for more people um and that's the catholic church didn't like that either because again power loss of control Mm. so and it was definitely very interesting but martha uh, martin luther was not the first one there was there was a guy in um in czech in the uh in the kingdom of czech i don't know what it's yeah. what the proper uh, term is and uh, they started it um pretty much but the time wasn't right then so he was executed he was burned yeah. i mean that's um, how history is or life events yeah. sometimes there's some Sometimes the person we remember wasn't the first. They were just the one that got yeah. the momentum. It's like 
like say Rosa Parks, I believe there was actually someone who sat in the front of the bus before her, but it was, uh, I could be getting it wrong, but it was, I believe, a, a pregnant, unwed mother, a black girl, and the cause decided they don't want to make a fuss over that one because mm. it's a bad image. But an, a nice old lady, it, well, that's an image we can sell to get a movement going. Yeah. And, you know, that's... Um, people really need to learn this stuff because you see the manipulation that goes on in the past and then people pretend like you can't have that kind of manipulation now. And nobody ever really knows until you're looking back. Like I was listening to uh, Oliver Stone, he's a director on Joe Rogan, talk about JFK's assassination. And like, you know, it sounds like, quote, conspiratorial, but the more you dig into the past, the more you realize, uh, yeah, it sounds like there was government people involved. It really does based on Mm. a lot of the evidence. Uh, And they'd be like, oh, we can't prove it. We can't prove it. It's like release the documents. And yet every president and just always Trump was gonna and then Biden blocked it the full release again. And it's just like people don't want to look. It's happened before. It can happen again. Um, And it's it's I think one of the reasons you wanted to talk again, because you were we were talking about a little bit of socialism in the last episode about why it's bad. Now I feel that Western Commonwealth countries and even non-Commonwealth countries, Commonwealth being uh, former British colonies, like Germany, for example, are very much not, they're going down a path of authoritarianism again, whether it be mm. socialism or a fascism, it's a gray line nowadays. But what what did you feel you didn't cover last time that you wanted to sort of go into this time? Well, I think the hardest part for people to understand is um, how how it could end up in that situation, no matter if it was under Hitler with fascism uh, mm. or then later with socialism in not only East Germany, there are so many different countries. And people don't understand it doesn't start that authoritarian right away um Mm. it's a it's a very very slow descent and um there is one regulation after another and if people don't stand up and uh, speak out against it or at least hold their politicians accountable then they just do whatever they can to maintain in power to Mm. obtain maybe maybe even more power and um when i talk to people about that i have to be very very careful because people always think, oh no, that's not gonna happen these days. We're way way too modern and we know way too much. Um, but, but still, it's easy for people to get carried away with their day-to-day life and they think, oh no, that, that doesn't concern me and I'm okay with it. I mean, it's just, um, I don't know how many years ago when the internet was becoming more and more important and present. And uh, then there was this discussion about laws, what, how much um, access all those companies can have or even the government can have to our online presence and all to our information and so many people said I don't care I don't ha- I don't have anything to hide but it's not about that it's about um, maintaining your own rights because um, as they say whatever the Nazis did it was legal at this time mm-hmm. when they did it yeah so they created the the legal the legal framework for themselves and uh, if we're not paying attention that that can happen pretty pretty fast again well you also get like complacency like i you know a lot of canadians get mad at me but i just think Mm. in large parts of canada 
people are being complacent. They're like, it's not going to happen to me or you're being ridiculous or this and that. And that you see the government just contrary to actual evidence that keeps mm -hmm. being proven. They're like, we want more restrictions regarding COVID or other things. And you need to do what we say. And we need to, you know, um, you know, you're seeing in the last three years, real time, last week's conspiracy theorists was correct. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. happening at a faster and faster pace. And it's funny you mentioned the internet. It's like you find that a lot of the people who make the laws know little about the things that they're actually making laws about. I was just reading, some, there was a, a court hearing in the US, right? So separate of Canada regarding COVID today. And someone on my Facebook who listened to the court hearing was commenting on the fact that the judge who's making a decision one way or the other, I'm not sure exactly the details. It just seemed to know so little about the subject matter at hand and is relying on whose testimony sounds best. Right. Mm. And I find that's why we're having problems right now because it doesn't matter if you have thousands of documents of peer reviewed literature, if the, say, government person, so called witness, or not so-called, they would have had to been certified, uh, is more compelling in court than they win contrary to the evidence. Or mm. I've heard in Canada, I've heard cases where the judge says, well, morally and just ethically, I have to v make a decision this way, but I'm unable to due to the law. And it's like, wait, 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 we're in common law. You mm. can set precedents. And in Canada, they unlike the US where they're like, yeah, we'll set precedents. Canadian judges just are completely unwilling. So people will often say like, well, the politicians wouldn't do it if it's illegal. It'll go to court and then it goes to the court. But if the judge is like, eh, then you're screwed. Because even if, let's say in Canada, there's been several high profile politicians who've broken multiple laws, like they've completely broken it. And it's gotten to the courts and the 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 in the end of the day, they're like prime ministers or cabinet. They're like, well, we, well, we don't have to do what the court says. And then nobody does anything about it. And then it, versus mm. the U.S., where if that were to happen, they would be rioting because they seem to like to riot now. <laughs> yeah, these days seems to be very easy for them to start those. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's I mean, yeah, and you're right. It's just so strange that um, there is evidence there and then. This already starts in in a, in a smaller smaller circles, like depending, um, like if the plaintiff is more more likable, let's say, mm. or the defendant is more likable. So depending on those those things, sometimes decisions are being made contrary to evidence, and that's just baffles my mind because that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like um, you know, you look in the U.S., you look at some of those hearings uh, to do with say the tech companies. Now, uh, some of the people were like, oh, the Republicans don't know anything. But the reality is you, you look at the questions being asked by some of the Democrat and Republican Congress or Senate, and they're like, no idea what the hell they're talking about. And the, um, the tech CEOs are like confused because the question is ridiculous. And then as the cat's walking around for those uh, on audio only. And then, you know, it makes the whole process look ridiculous. And then you find out because these Congress and senators are not very good at their jobs, you find out after the fact, well, actually, those CEOs lied in front of Congress or Senate, and then nothing actually happens after the fact. 
And then they, if it were to actually go to court, they just wouldn't be up on the stand. And it's just like mm. this whole, whole, and then people sit there and like, oh, it'll never happen. And you're like, but you can see it happening. There's no, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of cases of rules for thee, not for me, of politicians in many, many countries, Western countries, that supposedly respect democracy and the rights of their people. And people just don't believe it. And then you try to tell them like, here, I'll show you this video. They're like, I'm not, I'm not going to watch that. Or here, here's a legal document. No, I'm not going to read that. Or here, here's a peer reviewed study for you. Oh, I'm not going to read that. And then it's just like, it's like, I've talked to several people now who grew up in yourself included, who grew up in, you know, authoritarian regimes, whether they be right or left wing. I've had guests, you know, from Venezuela, from Hungary, from Germany, right? Who grew up under this and they're all saying the same thing that the way that the west is behaving right now from a, a leadership perspective i don't even think they're being leaders anymore it's 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 shocking that history is repeating itself and then you know i'll see historians who be like that's not true it's not doing that and it's like what are you talking about <laughs> mm -hmm. we're seeing ourselves run down a path of not great and then yeah i was watching the show the expanse have you ever watched it no, not yet. I'm just uh, trying to get super, cables here, yeah. not too much. No worries. <laughs> if you hear the rustling, it's just for moving the mic. And it, but the expanse is—it's a really good sci-fi um, show. If you can get past the main main actor's mediocre acting, which is is not great, but the rest of it's amazing. Um, Earth basically has a two-tiered system where the most of the Earth's population lives in squalor on um, humanitarian aid from the government, and there's a lottery. In order to get, um, did he sit on a key? No, <laughs> it's just he heard something and now he's fascinated. Yeah, by it. the uh, there's a lottery to get into even getting work. So there's people living in poverty for their whole lives because they never hit the lottery just to get a job. And I'm like, that's what happens when everything is completely controlled by the government. And people will be like, oh, that's just mm. fantasy. I'm like, no, that's how that works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and. For example, in Eastern Germany, if you were, uh, if you complied with the whole system and the structure, and I mean, when you grow up in those systems, you're being brainwashed right from the from birth. You're going through all those institutions, kindergarten, preschool, school, and all those uh, youth uh, institutions that you have, like the pioneers and then uh, the free German youth, what they called it. Mm. And uh, this is just already brainwashing people into it, and it's. Um, if if this is all you know, if this if this is your truth and you don't know anything else, it's really hard to break out of it. So, mm. to all those people who made that change, uh, no matter which country, um, that's very very impressive because they saw that there need there needs to be a change. And I always find it a little bit, um, I don't know, belittling when people say that's not gonna happen. For whatever reason and then you think well why do you think it happened to us why do you think it happened to other countries it's if you look at the average person i mean no matter which country we're, we're very similar i mean there is not a big difference in, in intelligence and skills and it's just i don't know i'm again when people say that it's it makes me very angry it always feels like we messed up that we ended up in the, in those systems yeah, I mean, and, and if you're born into it, you don't really have a choice, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I, you know me, I, I, and some of my listeners, I'm always like 
crapping on left-wing ideologies but you can <laughs> it's more i the more i look at it the more i realize it's their presentation of the ideologies and their solutions for the problems that i have a problem with but they they make some valid points and and you know on one issue they'll be like you know poverty and injustice and race and you didn't grow up in a different race and that you can't possibly understand but I'm like, okay, you know, that's fair. So let me tell you, or in your case, not me, obviously, I grew up here. It's like, then you don't understand what you're talking about, about socialism. Why are you ignoring people's experiences who mm. grew up in these countries, who are telling you that the way this country is going, Canada or other countries, looks a lot like the path that created dictatorship authoritarian regimes in these other countries and they can't like connect the logic on one end it's like well if you're a black person it's not your fault we have to help and da, da, da. but if it's somebody else it's like no 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 it's mm -hmm. like but the logic is actually the same like a person who grew up in a country it's not their fault if they were born into it but how do they deal with it right that's why people fight to get out of it uh you know and people just they just completely don't understand now I just I know and it's no, fascinating, on, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's always um always when they see a white person, um automatically you're they assume you have some kind of privilege. Yeah. Um, but as you said, depending on the country you grew up in or were born into, it might not always be the case. So um you cannot just combine or generalize just because of skin color. That's just yeah. it's never that's never gonna work. Well, that is racism. Suggestion, definition yeah, of racism. I know. <laughs> so, I wonder your perspective now. You are biased because you have chosen to learn under me. Because my perspective is self-defense is not just punching and kicking, and all. And and people have such a hard time with that. But what is your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with you, but also because how I was raised. Um, yeah. So. My dad already was always trying to um, explain to us that we have to maintain a critical stance in, in many situations. We cannot just go along with everything. Of course, back in East Germany, I was very careful when you had this stance. And my dad was very lucky that he had friends in higher positions. Otherwise, he would have gone to prison several times and I might mm. not have seen him after that. That's because once you're in that system, you might just disappear. Yeah. Um, and um, I find it's, I mean, if you come in with that approach and say you want to learn self-defense, that's, that's fine. I, I totally understand that. But um, I think people should widen their horizon a little bit and try to keep an open mind. And maybe self-defense, I think, is the first layer. Um, By that, you mean physical self-defense? Yeah, the physical self-defense, but also, you know, um, this... Uh, this whole approach that you want to want to um, you want to be aware of your surrounding that also applies not only for when you're walking down the street but also when you're reading the news um, you want to be aware that what you're reading might not might not be everything they might have omitted stuff mm -hmm. so just um, well for me it's it makes sense to uh, say self-defense is more than just the physical self-defense because if, if you're not paying attention, like uh, in Nazi Germany, the Jews, all those people who were paying attention, even if it was just uh, people opposing the Nazis, um, they were able to read the signs and 
they were able to bring their family and themselves to safety to live to fight another day because at mm. the end that's what we want to do right yeah and what, so I for mean, me it's yeah oh yeah go on finish your thought um so for me that's why it all ties in together it's it's not just on a micro level it's also on a macro level mm. yeah, and people forget like sense. before germany like closed its borders you know there were a few ships that managed to get out in time only to be rejected uh canada it mm. happened but before that before the extreme uh rejection people forget that the immigration rules back in the old days were a lot looser and mm. it was so much easier just to sort of go across and travel now there's lots of restrictions you know a lot of them rightfully so but it basically means like you're trapped like what would certain people like in Canada do if you're not allowed to leave your country anymore legally and you're stuck and then no other country will accept you. It's like, what mm. do you do but sneak across the border and hope for a refugee status? Like people don't think of, you know, again, in the southern border in the U.S., you're like, these people are coming here for refugee status. But like if someone from Canada does it, they're like, no, even if the, mm. even if the circumstances were to end up the same, where a person can't leave their country legally, they have to cross the border and they're a prisoner in their own country. You know, in the old days, if you could get across that border without getting shot, you're probably good. You just walk mm. across and get out unless the border is like closed, closed, which happened in, in Germany and eventually Poland uh, shortly after. I forgot the year specifically, but you, at that point, the only way you could get out was with violence or sneaking out. Um mm. And that's when that's when, you know, I again, my history is rusty. A lot of countries rejected it because they didn't they were all taking the appeasement approach. They were trying to appease Hitler at that point. Mm. Um, but before that, it's like, yeah, I'm going to leave Germany and people left. Right. Uh, if you left in the early 1930s, it would have been fairly easy just to throw your stuff in a bag and go. Yeah. <clears throat> Can't do that. anymore. Yeah, I know. No. And what I find so disappointing, too, is, um, I mean, when you learn your history, you learn your history. But later on, when I was um, digging into it a little bit more, um, all the other countries, no matter if it was the Britain or France or the US, they all had um, spies or secret agents or whatever all over Europe. And uh, they knew about certain stuff Hitler was doing, um, but they wouldn't they wouldn't intervene. Yeah. They wouldn't just let him let him do it. Like uh, when at one at one point, even they were aware that he was planning on invading Poland. Nothing happened. Um, they were informed about his plans for the concentration camps. Hmm. Nobody cared, and yeah. um, that's just very disappointing. Well, it's like they they knew about the concentration camps in the war, in the middle of the war, and they had the opportunity to bomb parts of them, like the railroad lines, at least. Mm. Um, you know, people said, oh, they should bomb the camps. But then they said, oh, we'll kill civilians. But then people say, oh, morally, why didn't you bomb the railroad lines going to these places? Or why didn't you let Hitler know, hey, we know about this? And usually, uh, you know, it just comes down to our resources are better spent elsewhere. That's usually how it mm. went. Because, or uh, in the case of, say, the Enigma machine, when the British cracked the Enigma machine, the German code system, they purposely allowed certain attacks to happen that they knew about because they didn't want the Germans to know they'd cracked their secret code. They, yeah. Because if they changed the cipher, the code cipher, then they have to read. It took them a long time to crack it too. Mm. They used, uh, what was it? 
that computer guy i'm blanking right now cracked it yeah i know i know who you're, who you're meaning um i just yeah totally blanking it'll come to me <laughs> touring the touring test comes yes, from that he yes. created the world's first supercomputer or whatever to crack the code of the enigma some people say it won the war. i mean I, I get all those strategic and military tactics and all those things, but um, but then they shouldn't talk about morals. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm wondering about that because, uh, you know, I have philosophical debates, aggressive debates with my wife, and <laughs> she sees things in very rudimentary sometimes, but it's almost like a first principles thing is that if you break things down to it, things are very much supply and demand resource allocation that's all it is and mm -hmm. despite what certain people believe you can just print money you can just do something out of nothing no. it's like if you just look at physics like energy is neither created or destroyed it's transferred or conserved or whatever you do have limited resources and if your goal is to win a war you do have to decide how you want to use those resources and morality sometimes doesn't come into it and people forget about that mm. you have limited resources we only have the ability to do certain things and of course based on individual morals personal preferences priorities you will allocate those resources differently but universally from a physics perspective everything is just about you know resource allocation so if you take the morality out of it like it does make sense but to me mm. you know when I'm looking at the world, I'm just like, okay, we can either have a globalized world where we do not tolerate these kind of immoral injustices, oppression, and that, and you intervene every single time, but it's a huge use of resources, or we can simply say, hey, that globalized model is not working, we're going to go back to more individual uh, countries that do their own thing, though we will be more globalized due to technology. And people seem to be having a hard time balance between that because we can sit here and say never again world war ii holocaust well how many genocides have happened since then that nobody did anything about and then we now have um an argument that we shouldn't be an intervent or the u.s shouldn't be canada hasn't been interventionist and is basically doesn't have a meaningful military anymore sorry guys it's the truth uh, <laughs> great soldiers just the military is not not very strong anymore um, but, you know, there's a huge push to make America non-interventionalist. And it's like from a moral perspective, it's like so all those moral lessons we learn mean nothing. You can make an argument either way. It's like either you let countries mm -hmm. be countries no matter how oppressed that they are and too bad, so sad for those people. Or you decide we want to be a one global uh, community and we start enforcing these more seriously, these moral rules about you cannot oppress the individual. Then... Personally, I believe you can never have too large of a centralized power and you need to respect the rights of the individual. You can still have a globalized world, but it needs to be based on the fundamentals of that. And there just seems to be so much confusion about what anyone wants, because in the end of the yeah. day, I think people are just inherently selfish and just want resource allocation. Even the people who claim to be moral, you see that during COVID, it's like, we need to do the right thing. But if you start really asking questions, it's more that I don't want to lose my business. So I'm going to do the right mm. thing or I don't want to lose my job. So I can because when mm. you really press people, I found that's how most of these conversations go. Right. Nothing against people who made a decision for personal medical reasons or belief. But a lot of people didn't do it for that. 
right? And mm-hmm. you're finding it's actually more to do with selfish, you know, you say that to people, they get super offended, but it's to do with selfishly motivated resource allocations. I've put 20 years into this job. I don't want to move and therefore I will do what I need to do uh, to comply with whatever rules, even if they make no goddamn sense. And you're starting to see that now in British Columbia. We're starting to see gyms, for example, for those who don't know, starting to refuse to close despite mandates, much like the New Jersey case that happened many, many years ago. I believe that guy won in the end in the U.S. courts. However, Canadian courts, I don't think, are going to be kind until it hits mm. like high-level courts where the evidence is forced out and then there's no evidence for the shutdowns that it was unjustified. Then people will fall back on, well, we can't have a society without following the rules and the morals of, of the, the agreed-upon stuff. It's like, but if they don't make any sense and they're actually harming people, then why are you enforcing it? And then you just, it's yeah. like a whole philosophical thing about what's right and what's wrong and do laws make sense? Do they actually for the best of everyone or do people just think that? There's a whole lot of things you could say about that. <laughs> I know that is, um, well, we were talking about that too with some friends and um, we were in Metro Town in the mall, just walking around. Of course, we were wearing the mask and all those things and um, disinfecting our hands. But I mean, um, yeah, it just, it's, it's hard to understand that gyms, places where you can do something actively for your physical and mental health mm. uh, are closed while restaurants and malls all those things are still open up and running yeah. and it's just yeah i mean and it it's just really really hard to understand how that works and uh, there was an update for this one gym i think they were um fined again um or they got yeah they, got there was one gym in Kelowna that uh had their license removed business license removed they had a fine given by the police because and and I was looking at some they emailed the city councilors in that city and the city councilor said we agree with you some of them not all of them but some of them said we agree yeah. with you you should be open they said we have no choice there's nothing we can do about it because legally the province in this case has decided unilaterally that this is the way to operate and even if we don't agree with it there's nothing we can do so then they're going to have to democracy take... yeah and the funny thing is is that the city councilors have basically implied like after these mandates are gone they'll probably give them our business license back so it's like theatrics at this point Mm. it's that they're doing it because that's what's supposed to happen even though the city's saying yeah we're going to give you your license back afterwards this is just to do with something that's legally out of our hands the province is unilaterally enforcing stuff that a lot of cities don't want to enforce they're not interested in it the citizens in their cities don't want to enforce it outside Mm. of the major uh metropolitan areas or quebec in canada people don't want to enforce it they don't care so it's basically you're getting unilateral decision making for the cities with no regard for everybody else Mm. Uh, and and then when people ask for the evidence why are you shutting gyms down they're like because do we see the data no well don't you think we should if you're making these claims Mm. no we don't need to do that it's like what are we china where they're just like you do what we say or else (laughs) <laughs> you know. yeah and i mean it is also so so divisive um there's um when you when you watch the news or uh whatever is presented in the media it's always to um 
like create a bigger gap between people. So you have on one side those people who say, yeah, we have to do what's best and we have to follow those restrictions. And um, because COVID, we want to we want to make sure it's not spreading anymore and so on and so forth. And I get that if people are concerned about their health. I totally understand that. But on the other hand, you really have to stay realistic and look at the up the on the um, look at the data that you have from all those research, and uh, all the uh, like. Israel provided lots of information on that, lots of data through. Yeah, and there's still being a bunch already. of like vaccine Nazis in Israel, which makes no sense to me. Other than the only thing that makes sense is yeah. the uh, the leaked document that showed the contract they had with Pfizer that hmm. the new prime minister could have just said to hell with, but he decided to, to keep it. Um, hmm. Basically, it makes no sense, but whatever. I'm not in there And anymore. I mean, people should at least um, now start asking why. And I mean, we all see those inconsistencies and people should just really ask more, why Why are we doing that? This And why Why is this location open? And why is this, this business here is closed? And... Because at the end of the day, there is still people meeting in restaurants or they can go, still go to churches, religious uh, events or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's politics. For example, you know, I was thinking about it. So martial arts clubs have basically been allowed to stay open with this current health mandate. Right. So I just put a caveat. Anyone who's listening or watching internationally, even if you don't live in Canada or where we live in British Columbia, what you should be thinking about when we're talking about this, or if you want to, you don't have to, is just the processes of society and how every society works different. And how, because what doesn't change is humans and how humans behave. So the last time there was lockdowns in British Columbia and stuff, the martial arts community was very, like, politely aggressive uh, with the politicians. The gym community, commercial gyms, etc., were like, you just tell us what we have to do as long as we can stay open, we'll work with you, and we're okay with shutting down health and wellness. You know, but as more evidence comes out and the numbers are coming out and the, the scientific literature is coming out, people are like, the hell, this doesn't make sense. So I'm thinking this time martial arts were given the pass, but gyms weren't because the gym community didn't was not vocal enough last time. Well, the restaurant mm -hmm. community has been extremely vocal uh, of course, they support whatever mandates are given, but I don't think they would accept the shutdown again. Restaurants and and with these new restrictions, what happened in British Columbia right before Christmas, they said bars and clubs are closed. But if restaurants, restaurants can stay open. Uh, basically, what they were trying to do is stop New Year's Eve partying and Christmas Eve partying. But restaurants basically clearly are not going to accept another close down um, as long as they're allowed to operate. And you see the differences when people say, no, we don't accept that. And you keep harassing them enough. That's how you know we're not a full like authoritarian regime. But it, it's just like the amount of harassment you have to give as a, as a group of people towards your, your politicians to get them to not be so ridiculous is, is too much. Right. And I was thinking about you know, my last episode of course, talking about representative democracies. I don't really think representative democracy is working that well because they don't really care about what their constituents think if they're just voting with the party and on on that side they're not engaging with their constituents they just sort of listen to whoever yells at them the loudest because that's in their perception who's going to get them elected next time um which doesn't help and a lot of people just vote because i always voted this way and they don't actually care, right so I think that's why we're allowed to be open because a lot of people called early martial arts gyms and said, hey, 
we're still allowed to be open and they were told no and the next thing i know everyone's like oh actually we're allowed to because it's basically the government just like eh, fine whatever whatever makes them look bad yeah. they'll enforce but otherwise if it's quiet and out of the public eye it's just ridiculous yeah it's 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 very interesting i find what um with the first lockdown what me what really um ruffled my feathers was that people were reporting each other and that yeah. was for me uh, a total throwback <laughs> and yeah. it really freaked me out then uh, um, because again back in east germany people were um, reporting each other to the authorities and um, for whatever incentive and people disappeared or were put in prison because a trusted friend neighbor or even sometimes family members were reporting them and it's just we shouldn't be doing that. It's, yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, there is reasons why you should report a person for criminal actions like um, child abuse or violence, um, domestic violence, and really like um, those reasons where a, where a person is like physically physically harmed or their life might be in danger. But um, reporting a person because they have a couple of people over for a birthday party, that doesn't make sense or that doesn't that's not right for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a, had a hard time with that. Yeah. So I don't know I'll, if there's still people reporting, probably. Oh, for like, sure, of course. I wanna yeah. expand on that. Just give me a second though. Okay, so I just had to pause to do something on time time, time specific, but um, so you're talking about the fact that people, what you didn't like is the people were reporting other people. Uh, and people are still doing that. We call them Karens yeah. and mind your own damn business. But it's like in 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 a lot of people's minds, because of their beliefs of how the virus works or how the protocol works or how society should work, they don't see a difference ethically, morally or otherwise of me reporting someone getting punched in the face or someone walking around violating COVID restrictions because in their head, both could cause extreme bodily harm or death even though the comparison is not the same the virus is the unknown you can't see it you can't feel it unless you have it and significantly severe results and so for them they feel that they're either fearful for themselves because i want to get back to normal and you idiots are ruining it for me which is not really the truth um, but they believe it to be so even though you're hearing experts around the world now saying, hey, this is this is uh, endemic, it's not a pandemic in the world, people still have it in their head that we're all going to die. Yeah. Even though experts for, like, say, Omicron, all over the world are saying symptoms are, are mild and you shouldn't be that worried. Uh, I actually don't know if you saw, I posted on Instagram, it was in Ontario, which has just introduced really strict lockdowns again. This doctor was on like global news or one of these CTVs or something. I forgot. And she was just like, eh, like, and, and like, you know, we really don't need it. And, and the people aren't really that affected anymore. And then, you know, that sort of stuff. And we need to kind of stop saying that everyone coming to the hospital is, is COVID positive came there because of COVID. Mm. You're starting to see this now. And the news anchor was like, but we're having less drastic effects about COVID because everyone is vaccinated, right? And the the doctor's like, well, not really, because if we compare countries that don't have high vaccination rates but have Omicron, we're not seeing the kinds of thing. And you could just see this awkward 
look on the newscaster's face. And I'm just like, if this had been a U.S. news broadcast, that doctor would have been pushed to a commercial break. But because it's Canada, they're just like, you can tell the newscaster is uncomfortable because the doctor's being honest, like scientifically, literally like honest about the state of things right now. And the doctor was kind of implying we need to sort of, you know, be careful, but get back to normal. <laughs> and there's like, but kids need to get vaccinated. It's like, not really. Yeah. And then it's just like, that's the truth at this point from, from the doctors and from anyone who isn't politically motivated. And it's just, but people, I, I need to remember the phenomenon, but people have this idea, once they get an idea in their head, people are very reluctant to change it. And so mm. it's like the logic of, hey, people who are, have the vaccines are getting Omicron. Therefore, we need more vaccines. It's like, n no. Because the vaccine didn't prevent transmission, but people still believe that. And then the purpose then of the vaccine becomes to reduce severe illness or death, which it does for a lot of people, but also a lot of people didn't need it for that to be the case. And that doctor also said that only the vulnerable should really be thinking about it at this point. Um, yeah. And, you know, but people just, they don't think that because they've gotten an idea in their head and then you tell them hey can you look at the evidence and they're like no i need to do my good part and and because either they're scared because they believe medical things that are not true that they're still going to die or they're at risk or uh that they need in order for society to work we need to do these things or um because it's your fault i can't get back to normal now i would suspect that people would do it in authoritarian regimes like East Germany because they feel that it's a way to protect themselves, that if they stay in the good graces of the authorities, they won't get targeted, which I'm sure you can attest as false. That is, if you that's, them definitely, um, that's definitely has a point. Um, but it's also sometimes it's certain incentives like... Um, for example, in East Germany, to get a nice vacation spot on the Baltic Sea, mm. you had to have connections. So, and uh, some of those incentives or rewards for reporting another person where you got your car earlier or you got a TV set or other stuff that for normal people was not that easily to, to obtain. And for some people, it's also just trying to be important, ego. Mm. Um, so there is, and sometimes it's just, they just don't like that person yeah. for whatever reason. Because so, they're I an mean, asshole. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, once you report it, once you're on the, on the watch list and they pick you up and they put you in jail, then uh, it's a hard time again to get out of it. And the problem also is that once one family member is, is on the watch list, it might also affect other family members. So if you have a child that is really smart and uh, should go to university and maybe study physics or medicine or whatever if there is a family member that might um that is not following the all the all the rules and regulations and is is not uh, is not following so socialism yeah. that might uh end in the kid not being admitted to university even though they would would qualify and would be great would be a great doctor or whatever yeah um and it's it's just, yeah, it's just the consequences that those things have. And um, I mean, I understand that people are scared, um, but I mean, truth is 
it sounds probably hard, but I mean, at some point, sooner or later, we're all going to die. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody is here forever. And um, I understand that people are scared and I, um, health is important and you don't want to lose family members. But I think with the first lockdown, everybody really was trying their best to comply. And then it was just, it became more and more inconsistent and more and more people noticed that that it doesn't really add up. And people who were following the information um, that came out, they were just asking questions. And it's just, I get it, that I understand the idea that you learn first is the idea that is settled in. And it's hard to root that out. Mm. Um, and also what I noticed is people like to work in absolutes. So it's either right or wrong. It's black or white. And working in grayscales or in, in between or, um, I could have I could have totally lived with the fact that they had told us we don't have enough information yet, uh, but this is this is what we have and this is what it indicates. That's why we think that's why we made this decision. But I also understand how everybody works that way. So some people really need to be told this is what you have to do, and there is no if or but, and yeah no grace no gray zone in between which doesn't help when the people making the decisions barely understand what they're talking about you know yeah it's like hey scientific evidence uh my constituents say something else it's like when it suits them they'll listen to them when when it doesn't suit them yeah. they ignore them and it's very like frustrating you know like i i think i don't know what's going to happen to canada but i'm once again i was optimistic now i'm not optimistic because Canada was backing off and now they're like quadrupling down. But I think we're going to see a major... People just refuse to admit how much politics plays into this and because people hate talking about it. And I think what's going to start happening is the speculation in the U.S. politics is that in twenty November 2022, they're going to have major elections for Congress and Senate and it's going to go red Republican. And there's already been some major like Republican people who've said, you wait, what happens when we we're going to investigate and investigate and investigate. And you're going to see a lot of these policies get dropped. Right. And they're just going to undo these policies. And since a large percentage of countries are consistently listening to blindly, so listening to the CDC and Fauci and uh, the head of the NIH, who have huge political uh, clout in the scientific and, and, and community, they're not going to be so... The, the new government, Congress and Senate, is not going to look too kindly on them. And they're going to mm. be forced politically, the Democrats, even if it's still Biden, are going to be forced to change their tune. Otherwise, they're going to be in huge political trouble because people are tired of this. And, you know, when you're in charge, you have the Congress, they basically have the Senate, the Democrats, and they basically, you know, have, uh, when they have the presidency, they can kind of do whatever they want. So the new, new Congress, and uh, if it goes red, like everyone's thinking it, even a lot of Democrats think it's going to go red next time. Things are going to change because, you know, like in Canada, that's very clearly, they just do whatever the American CDC says. So if all of a sudden they're changing, because like, the Congress is like, you know what, we're going to cut your funding. Then things will start to change globally because CDC, despite, you know, how arrogant they're acting right now, it, it largely are the gold standard 
at least up until recently, for this kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. when American politics changes, it's probably going to shift globally eventually. Well, what made me very suspicious or um, very careful about this whole scenario is that um, all the information you're provided with is supporting a certain a certain way of how everybody should respond to it. Being a very fairly new virus that we're dealing with and but only having information pointing in one direction, that's what I found hard to believe. And whenever there is an, is an expert or scientist or saying, um, okay, we cannot really make any statements because we don't have enough information, even or even if it was just slightly critical, um, those people were silenced. Yeah. And I mean, you can call me a conspiracy theorist at that point, but that's also one something that feels very, very familiar from back in the day when um, the only narrative you heard was one certain way. So this is what people were supposed to think and nothing else. And everybody yeah. else was being shut down and um, pushed, pushed out of the way. And I think that's something that people notice that have grown up in those authoritarian systems, because this is just it was just your day-to-day -day life because they want to brainwash you into a certain uh, opinion and um, that's why I find that's yeah and that's something I struggle the most with to get only information in a certain way and I find it hard to believe because science science is for me is a is a constructive discussion like you have different opinions different approaches different experiments and everybody you know all those different puzzle pieces come together to to create um, the thesis, and otherwise, I find it very delusionous or delusion, delusional to to think that this is how we work it out. And you're right; it's very politicized, and it's this is not helping. Science no. should be should be separate from politics. But I also understand because of certain reasons and people uh, right now there is it's just so intertwined. It's it's hard to separate the two. Oh, it's intertwined. Like, well, as you said, people want black and white, but it's not black and white. So, no, it's not. you know, the one size fit all again, it's hilarious. If I take the uh, left idea, <laughs> just tosses the cat, the uh, left wing no uh, notion that, um, you know, humans run on a spectrum, which is probably true, but the way they're dealing with it is, is a bit silly. But why is that not the same for, scientific truth sometimes or when it comes mm -hmm. to health and wellness it's like well we have genetic differences not everyone needs the same treatment some people need something different it's very clear you know some people should eat one way versus another that's why some people do really well on one diet but not another and other people are the opposite it's like what does an individual need for them to prevent problems for this virus well one that was fairly consistent and just consistently comes up in scientific literature but it's kind of still being ignored is vitamin d i was actually just mm. watching this other thing this guy hilariously was doing uh, this black guy i think in florida was doing a news news thing and he was going in depth about uh like you wouldn't think just he's just going completely in depth scientifically about what the virus is and that the reporters are just like just tell us about the masks and then he goes into more explanation about why you don't really need them for this virus yeah and it was just, it was pretty funny. And the news crew was just like, why can't you just give mm. us a simple answer? <laughs> it's like, well, I need to explain it to you guys because you guys are want me to say a very specific thing. And I'm explaining to you mm -hmm. scientifically why it's not like that. It's not black and white. Um, 
right? The vulnerable is one story, which is consistently the elderly and the obese. And then going down, it's low vitamin D and uh, air pollution are kicking in and showing that those areas, because you know, cities with clean air and high sun exposure are having less of a problem consistently. Uh, where you can sign a look in like Texas and Florida where they spike is when it's so hot outside, people go on the inside, which would corroborate with the data from, say, the UK, which said most most transmission occurs in a confined space in the household because you can't stay away from that a sick person forever. If you're around them all day, every day, you're probably going to pick it up. But what was interesting about the UK study, I forgot what it's called, you know, 100-something thousand people, which is a huge study. It was like, less like yeah there was a slight difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated people but you'd think if you're stuck in the house uh with someone who tested positive you'd get it but it was like no between 20 and like 35 percent of people would get it if they're exposed to someone a mm -hmm. lot of people have said i didn't get it and i was sleeping in the same bed with someone why because everyone is different their health levels vitamin d levels are different and and if we're talking about health and wellness, which is what my contention has been the entire time, which you know is like we need to be talking about health and wellness. How do we prevent people from getting sick? And even pre-vaccines, and mm -hmm. no one was talking about it. And there's still barely that. I think CNN just posted obesity is a problem now after they've had uh, <laughs> multiple uh, uh, producers removed due to criminal allegations. They've had multiple anchors fired due to a misconduct. They have new ownership that has basically said, we're going to stop this nonsense. Um, like it's a, so a mother. So one of the major shareholders mm. of the new company discovery that bought up the time Warner or whoever owns CNN. And now two years later, they're talking about something briefly that has been scientific evidence for two years now, or almost two years now. Is it because of the new ownership? Is it because their network has a horrible, perspective no one wants to watch them anymore like either way they were clearly being dishonest whether it's just not presenting the information or hiding the information or spinning the information it's like why are you presenting this information now we've known about this i mean you know because i've been talking about it um for the past year vitamin d B well it was also this whole ivermectin this whole ivermectin story yeah. that blew up and nobody now is talking about it because it's just proven that was incorrect what they were that, re, that they were reporting um and it's yeah it's beyond frustrating and yeah they should be promoting more uh people or they should be promoting health more so get people out moving but i mean it's counterproductive to shut the gyms down well at this point it's, it's silly um but like so media because people you know <laughs> speaking about the gyms thing a, a lot of media the, the one story I read from Global News' Canadian website um, was basically saying we reached out to all the gyms who and employers and people who are just ignoring the rules. And uh, they're like, the common responses were, we don't trust mainstream media. We're not talking to you. You're just going to twist their words. You're a bunch of liars. Like, And the mainstream media is like, oh, these people are all crazy. It's like, no, because you know exactly what you're going to do is you're going to make them look bad. And uh, it's just they've lost faith in the media and the media just refuses to admit it now speaking mm. of media like growing up in a authoritarian socialist country like what was the media like there like is there similarities is there differences compared to what we're seeing a lot now 
Well, um, I think I touched on that already a little bit when I said um, all the scientific information that you find when you look when you look online or when you read in the newspapers is always pointing a certain direction, and uh, that totally reminded me of back in the socialist day because everything was pro-socialism, and uh, even. Uh, events that happened in the past were reported or so twisted around that it made it socialism look good or the polit politicians. And if you were, if you dared to report anything else, you couldn't. Um, yeah. There were people were trying to to report uh, on what really is happening. So they were like, uh, they had like little illegal broadcasting stations, but they had to be super careful that they were not discovered because once the police found out they, what where they were, all the secret service they were they were put into prison. And there was one I think it was in the 60s, where there was a youth group and they were trying to uh, print print flyers and provide um, more information and not just the one-sided socialist construct. And uh, um, yeah, so, and these were really young kids. They were 18, 19, and uh, some of them, they were they were executed for that, hmm. yeah, for trying I'm, to provide more information. It's and, like, I, I wonder if we get to that point in Canada, just that's the, how far it would have to go for people to wake up and realize, oh, shit, but by then it's too late. <laughs> well, also by then, people were scared into submission. Yeah. Because by then, the state had so much control and power that... First of all, you couldn't trust anybody. And um, yeah, if everybody was scared to be to just disappear. It's kind of like uh, I mean, Russia. Like if you yeah. in Russia, like I don't follow Russian media that much, but it's like you in like Canada or the US, the news agencies can say like, you know, Trudeau's wife, this and that. And, uh, you know, Biden's son, this and that. And uh, then you go to Russia and you don't hear anything about Putin's family ever mm. because they know if you do you're done and by done probably dead <laughs> yeah right no, i well, don't know I what mean, state russia is in but um russia is is a different country so um all those people who are complaining about oppression in canada or the u.s like in most western cultures western countries um go to go to russia yeah and have a look how it works there well that's and, actually um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because it's like that's actually a lot of perspective the Canadians have. They're like, you should be happy to be here. You're not in these countries. Stop mm. complaining about your rights and freedoms. You have many rights and freedoms. You should shut up. Don't complain about what you have. And then it's like, yeah, but if you don't say anything, it goes down that path and we end up like them. And there's a disconnect. People don't get it. Oh, mm. I don't want to talk about that stuff, you know? If that makes sense. Well, I always I always find it funny when people say how oppressed they are, and then they uh, provide little videos on their Instagram or TikTok accounts, TikTok accounts using Apple phones and whatever, and mm -hmm. they have freedom of speech. In many countries in Russia, you do not have that. You may have it on the paper, and if you say everything following the government or the ruling uh, party, then you're fine. You can say whatever you want. But if you're if you're opposing those uh, those beliefs. This is where freedom of speech ends for those people. Yeah. I always found it funny and... if I go on Facebook, uh, the English Russian news is RT, and then the Chinese uh, English news is like CG, TV, C something or whatever. And I follow them because I just want to see what the hell they're saying. 
And at the top in disclaimer, it says uh, government publicly, like government controlled state media. And I'm just like, the Canadian Broadcast Corporation should have that designation as well, because it is con mm. Canadian controlled. It's government controlled. And they'll say, no, 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 it's not the same thing. It's like they get all their money from the government. The government can stop any stories that they don't like. People are leaving that news organization. There was actually a recent example of a very popular, well-known broadcaster from that network who said, I quit because this network has lost its mind. I don't know if you saw that. And But Facebook will not put that disclaimer above that. Now, to be fair, even though CNN is heavily linked to the Democratic Party, you still technically couldn't put that disclaimer because it is privately owned. But CBC in Canada completely hmm. almost exclusively publicly funded in fact most media in canada is now exclusively publicly funded by the government whether people realize it or not there's very few news outlets that don't receive massive funding from the government because they can't sustain themselves so on the same note if we're putting these disclaimers that these government these news agencies are controlled by the government to me if the all their funding's coming from the government that's controlled by the government in canada most of our media is funded by the government because they're not making any money anymore because nobody cares mm. about Canadian news. <laughs> so. Well, I think also in many Western countries, because uh, when you look at the majority of your population, we're actually very, very fortunate. I mean, we have, most of us, we have a roof over our, over our head. We have a job. We have some money to spend. Uh, we have some luxury we participate in. Um, so that's more than most people in third world countries will ever have. And I also think that many people forget that first world countries are not the majority of the countries. It's, mm. it's a few. Um, and if you were born into those countries, you're very lucky. Or if you're able to immigrate into those countries. Um, and it's sometimes I think, I think we forget and sometimes we're getting so comfortable in this, lu in this luxury or as I call a luxury, some people might not consider it because they don't have uh, golden taps or a golden bath to, or golden bathtub, sorry. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at it, we're, we're very, very fortunate. And it's easy to lean back and say and to complain about certain stuff where I think that's a first world problem. Um, but there are so many people out there who have not even the minimum of rights. Yeah. I mean, right now, when you, when you look at many many uh, African countries or the Middle East, there's still so many countries or Asia where human rights, what's that? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't, I actually just want to look it up, but uh, I was listening like a week or two ago and it's like Ethiopia is about to have a civil war and mm. most people have no clue what's going on. Right. Yeah, or in see. Afghanistan after the Taliban took over, I mean, women's rights were it's just gone. kind of like, yeah. It's, it's gone, yeah. And I mean, for, for girls or women to participate in any kind of sport, they're not allowed to. Yeah, and it's, uh, yes, yeah, Ethiopia is actually in the middle of a somewhat civil war, right? Uh, or about to, but nobody cares about that, right? Um, so obviously, like that's the perspective. People will be like, oh, like uh, someone I follow on, because I believe he's an honest objective scientific person is brett weinstein he's got a great podcast mm. the dark horse and uh oh, crap i lost my train of thought uh what was it saying oh and he, him and his wife just they're like evolutionary biologists and stuff and they just wrote a book about 
and it's kind of expanding from a scientific perspective about uh, our bodies are biologically ancient, but our society and morals are modern and they're clashing right now. They wrote a book with scientific literature. They actually admitted on their podcast they were wrong about one thing that they already had to correct in the book because some new data came out, which is great to hear. They could just mm. can continue what they said in the book, but they said, no, we were wrong about that. But people, you know, the media will paint it as right-wing nuts who want to live, go, go back to nature. But what Brett was saying is that, let's say you grew up in a Western country with all these luxuries, and let's say civ society collapsed completely, which part of me is like, I hope that happens. It won't, but it's just like, you know, fantasy. But most of us actually won't survive that. It's just mm. modern humans in Western world, if you grew up, just fundamentally lack the skills to survive where you can't just go get your resources quickly from somewhere. Mm. And, you know, to tie it back to self-defense, it's like, why do I need to learn self-defense when I can just call the police, right? Because that's the attitude of people who've been like civilized, air quotes. Um, I don't need to learn that. Somebody else can do it. And then it's like, well, what if you need that skill? Well, I would never need that skill. And, you know, people think it's crazy to talk about like, oh, what if a solar flare happened? And they're like, you're crazy. Mm. That could never happen. I don't know. Last major one was in the late 1800s. They didn't have computers back then. You know what would happen now? And they just yeah. look at you like you're nuts. And I'm like, this is actually a genuine real thing that could happen. With We have no way of predicting such a thing. Like they might have, I don't know, 30 or minutes notice. I think the delay from the sun is like... Uh, uh, seven minutes or so the light to get here so you probably have if they can see solar build up 30 minutes notice they would have no yeah. idea right yeah. and it just happens and then poof pops your pops your electricity like last night uh our tv went all weird and shut off luckily i had a power surge because the because the snow the power was fluctuating and uh mm. that's nothing compared to what a major solar flare would do if it hit half the planet and then if all our electronics are gone people forget like your cars would not work modern cars old carbureted yeah. cars would still work but how many of those are still around yeah and then we'd have to and then nobody restart. can drive them <laughs> yeah you'd have absolute chaos and it's just like people are like that'll never happen and it's like well probably it's actually higher probability than you winning the lottery as far as like a solar flare or an earthquake happening in vancouver for example which is my common example and just i think people don't know how well, to contextualize that well and i mean sometimes it's not doesn't even have to be a very drastic measure for me for example my um, moment where i had understood that i cannot rely on other people i have to be self-reliance independent and cannot expect other people to um, live my life fight my fights um when my dad suddenly passed away in 2003 that was a was a big shock um mm. because it was really really unexpected and um that was just okay that's it i mean my mom is a lovely person but she's just not that um not that of a support system as my dad was to me um and it was just okay now it's it's me and i have to make it make it work for myself and police i never have police even on my screen i i don't know i don't really law enforcement i had a long um it took me a very very long time to understand that Usually, law enforcement is not like in eastern in eastern uh, eastern Germany. 
when law enforcement got involved, it was always bad for you. So it wouldn't really, uh, wouldn't really call them. And I still have a hard time to call 911 if I had to. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just in the back of my head, I know it's it's me. I cannot rely on another person. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, a survival mechanism. Like I was telling, you know, my wife, uh, you know, I have a, a personality of a type, as you know, and people find it off-putting. Whereas uh, <laughs> I just did a one with Seb and he, he said, what did he say? You know how to elicit a response out of people. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do it. But if, you know, the people in your life don't want to be there and even the people who are in your life, they're like, I don't want to deal with it and they don't want to help you go good. You sort of learn rightfully or wrongfully how to do stuff on your own, right? And mm. and it's like this, if you can't trust the people around you or you can trust you, but they can't give you what you really need to solve your problem it's like you will ultimately be on your own and it's like supply chain issues for example let's take it off the individual level well if america and if people blame the corporations but it's the politicians too if everyone hadn't shipped all the manufacturing out of the u.s um, and shipped it off into countries they wouldn't have the problems the supply chains because the globalized ideology was well this area of the country of the world can manufacture this and that area can manufacture that and it's totally okay and then they realized in COVID, like that was a terrible idea you actually need to have a diversified global network where maybe you have five major manufacturers of a particular like type of thing so that if one goes down it doesn't interrupt the entire global supply chain and so like on one level you need community to build and be better and interact with society. But on the other level, you do need to be able to learn to operate at a more smaller scale because if everything is reliant on everything else, then one thing goes wrong, everything is screwed. Mm -hmm. Versus if it's the individual can take care of themselves within reason and then the community can take care of itself within reason and then the country can take and then global and then it's, it doesn't have it's uh, quite the disastrous effect. So yes, there's a lot of people now who can barely take care of themselves without the structures of society. It's like they're screwed if things are interrupted. Like mm. the snow hit and my garbage isn't being picked up. And it's yeah. like, it's really annoying, but it's like, what would happen if no one's picking up the garbage and there's no garbage dumps mm -hmm. anymore? Uh, how will people operate, right? And, you know, I'm annoyed because the city's like, eh. And it's like, well, are you going to give me a refund for some of the taxes that you're not doing your job? No. Mm. Right? Yeah, of course not. Um, it's been two weeks. They keep screwing up because of the snow and then they don't come around. But it's like one thing goes wrong and then they can't even do it. And then it causes a, a feedback thing. I'm going to have piles of garbage now uh, unless I take it to the dump myself, which then costs money. And it's like, well, that's really silly. So much for the system. So what would I do? Well, in the past, they burned the garbage, but we can't do that because it has a negative effect on the environment. So it's like, what would people mm. do? I don't even think most people would know. And it's like, that's why it's important. Even if you don't say compost to learn how to compost so that your organics can be solved on your own. Or uh, obviously, if there's no supply chain, you're not going to have plastic. So then you have to learn how to uh, how am I going to make my own clothes? How am I going to do that? You don't have to be an expert at it, but you should at least have base knowledge. Uh, a more relevant example, I think, to a lot of people is the amount of people I know my age who can barely cook, who couldn't even mm. follow a recipe 
And it's like, uh, what? Like, I know tons of people like that. They still can't. And it's just like, that, that's an absurd thing. I know. I know it's 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 fascinating. I mean, I'm not a hero in the kitchen. I don't have ambition to be the best cook ever, but I can cook to survive. And I yeah. have basic understanding, basic knowledge of that. I have basic sewing skills. Um, so I know how to make clothing if I had to. It wouldn't look yeah. pretty, but it would fulfill, would fulfill the purpose. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's it's also when I see all those people talking about socialism and that they want to change it and they, and I understand why the idea of socialism is appealing. Um, first of all, you don't have much decision-making to do because the government does it for you. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, and um, people also have this idea of humans being um, altruistic. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. Um, and, but humans are not, as you said, it's easy to be like that when you're uh, comfortable, you know, you're at home and sitting on the couch watching TV. It's easy to have all those ideas then. But um, as you said, what happens if, if anything goes wrong and nothing functions anymore as it should be? As you said, garbage is not being picked up or supply chain is disrupted. I mean, there is the food shortage, whatever. Then altruism goes out the window pretty quickly. And then Toilet paper words. I know, right? And then yeah. we're back to fighting tooth and nail for our own selfish, selfish survival because that's what we are. We're still kind of animals. And I totally agree also with the fact that our bodies are, are not adapted to the society we're living in these days, at least Western countries. Mm. Um, and that's why we also have, I think, so many mental health problems because it's, it's hard to, um, to cope sometimes. And yeah. if you don't have the skills, or the social network, because like a lot of people just sit yeah. in their homes. Like the amount of people that I, well, I don't know. I know I know some people during the pandemic who didn't leave their house except for like groceries, and were not interacting mm. with people for like a year straight. And I'm just like, you don't, you didn't have like any friends you know, or like I didn't want to. And then they clearly are just having complete catastrophic mental problems now, mm. because solitary confinement is essentially a torture it's considered a torture it's, it, yeah and it's a reason for that yeah and because people were healthy. yeah being told you have to stay by yourself or you're going to die which was not true for a, a large percentage of people and i just i was having conversations with people and it's just like you, you know what you believe is not true like you're going to be okay like you can leave your house and they're like, i just don't want to i and mm. i forgot there's a term uh, i was someone was telling me about in japan there's a term for these people who just don't leave their house anymore and they work from home. And, but they, even before the pandemic, there were people who just don't yeah. never leave no, their house. No, I know I had a, I was watching a documentary about that. Um, yeah, they're totally shut-ins and uh, there is even, um, I don't know what it is, a company or something. They provide them people. <coughs> they have like social workers go out to them and try to lead them back into somehow kind of a normal life or be their yeah. friends because they, they don't have any any social connection to the to the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a different culture over there, but it's just like the fact that they have a term for it there. Just people who yeah. don't want to leave. There. It's not agoraphobic. It's just like agoraphobic being. I'm scared to leave. It's just these people don't know how to function outside of their apartment. Agoraphobic is someone who yeah. knows how to, but is terrified. Something happened usually, and they're terrified to leave their home again. And it's just like that's kind of what happened with 
pandemic, we're getting people who are agoraphobic or who people who have just decided I don't like going out anymore. I prefer being mm. at home because of the internet. I suspect, well, I suspect two things. If the internet didn't exist, they would not have been able to lock down as much because everything would have mm. completely stopped. Companies would not exist. Um, but also let's say they did do the kind of extreme lockdowns that they were doing. Um, you would have seen suicides go through the roof. I mean, suicides did go through the roof, which governments don't want to talk about, but it's like, they would have seen like a 10th of your population just kill themselves. If like two years of this nonsense, I mean, I'm making a number up, but I think it would be. No, I know. Bad. And I was looking up those numbers. I think last year at some point I was looking it up because, um, I also, <coughs> um, yeah, I also struggled being uh, in solitary pretty much. I mean, I st I'm still very lucky. I have a job again. I'm financial stable. And, um, but yeah, then in 2020. I mean, you had I, uh, UTKM. You were helping me with. The, and I had uh, UTKM. We had the Zoom yeah. classes, which helped a lot. Um, that was, yeah, well, that was definitely good. Um, other than that, I would have just gone crazy. And I'm very proud of myself that, not, that, that, I, that I didn't have to go back to uh, mental um mental health medication like antidepressants yeah. or anything well, that i was able to cope without yeah. um of course adopting rambo was also very important as crazy as he is yeah um but you know he makes you get out of bed and you have responsibility for him and uh and now again my roommate moved back in and i was just looking it up the person um the term that they use for those japanese shut-ins is hiki Hikikomori, I hope I pronounced it right. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, but yeah, they have a term for people yeah. like that. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a weird culture over there. It's like they're totally even for an Asian culture, it's like one of the most like culture shocking culture. You know. Well, I mean they're confined to their four main islands. Um, so it's easy to develop a very specific culture and be like really standing out. Yeah, and I think sense. now like a third of their population lives in Tokyo. Tokyo is just one giant, massive, like 40 Holy, million Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, well, that being said, I still want to go there one day. Um, oh, yeah, it's cool. It's totally cool. I went when I was younger and I have not been able to go as an adult since. And it's a place yeah. that, that it would be good to and, go to again. No, definitely. And I mean, also, it's, uh, it's the country of origin for judo. So, I mean... Yeah. Um, it's kind of like I would like to go there but right now with all those restrictions and then they found a new variant in France the um, IHU oh, I just variant saw it. I just I can't I saw that like 20 yeah. minutes before we started and I was just like no like Jesus Christ right it's just, and it's as insane. always it's it's always this approach we don't know much but let's just start the panic already yeah. um Oh, we know damn so well what's going to happen. It's going to be getting less problematic and less problematic, but the politicians are going to keep freaking out and using bullshit. And then everyone, people said this was going to happen like two years ago. That's, and you know, and that's, I've, that's why I'm concerned. I've been talking to people about, we need to not allow authoritarian governments stop it now. And it's, I yeah. am very concerned for the state of humanity. <laughs> well, what, what I was trying to explain to people in 2020 when um, Canada issued a state of emergency and then they were able to push um, those new gun laws or bills through. Or trying to. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, trying to. And I mean, I said, you can... Your stance regarding to get to guns can be what it is, but yeah. what if it is something next time it concerns you, and they yeah. just push it through without any democratic process 
only yeah, because it's somewhat kind of what happened here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. on the gun thing, they did um, they banned a whole bunch of guns for those who don't know, like fifteen hundred different models, and they did not go through a democratic process. It was unilaterally the prime minister and their cabinet, and it's still in the courts because the, mm. the the prime minister has been stonewalling even the courts, which is like absurd. Like, I don't know very many countries where a prime minister can basically metaphorically say, fuck you to the courts. We don't have to do shit. You can't tell us what to do. And nothing happens. And that's somewhat, I mean, I'm cutting down the details obviously immensely, but that's kind of what's going on. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to find a way to make this happen because that's what I want to do. And I don't really care what people think or say or anyone. And that's the attitude. And it's just like, ugh. And one day it will be something people care about. And that's why it's always mm. too late when you, when you see the yeah, behavior. Yeah, because nobody, yeah. It's like a school shooter. And, like everyone knows they're the crazy kid and everyone says stuff and then no one does anything. And then you're shocked that they came and did the thing they said they've been going to do for like the last, you know, five years. It's like, it's the same concept. People don't like the comparison, but it's like, mm. it, you see the behavior, the behavior is there. Oh, it doesn't affect you yet. Oh, and then you're dead. Like, that's the, to sum it up how it works yeah and this is con this is consistent throughout history i mean many countries started with taking slowly rights away and then another yep. one and nobody cared because it's they always thought well not it's not con doesn't concern me it's always the other people yeah and then once all the other people are gone and you're the only person left nobody's there to help you yeah so i think i think we're coming up on almost two hours i think we've kind of sussed out that subject a lot more um i mean i've been very vocal and concerned this whole time and you wanted to talk about it some more is there any final things you want to get in there before we wrap it up well um it's hard to say i mean i always would like people to be more aware of their surrounding no matter if it is related to self-defense um, or just, you know, your your regular life. Um, it's so easy to be old up in your own life and don't look left, right, and just, you know, go uh, have the tunnel vision. But um, we're living in a, in a globalized community. So what happens in one country, there's a big chance it's going to affect us. So yeah. I just, I think I would like people be a little bit more informed, put in a little bit more effort. And uh, I would also like to have a little bit more... Um, creative or no constructive, not creative, constructive uh, discussions. Right now, very often you see that one side um, is talking to, to another side and they have uh, opposing opinions. And um, for whatever reason, none of them is budging, not even trying to find a middle ground and at least try to understand where the other person is coming from. You don't have to agree with them, that's fine. But I mean, at least try to understand because opinions, do not come out of nowhere. There is a reason why a person thinks a certain way. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's pretty much. And um, for all those people who think socialism is a good idea, um, do a little bit more research. Right. <laughs> because uh, I do not want to go back into that system. And, and uh, that's what people, uh, I think, forget. It is a, it's an economic system. Um, there was a lot of stuff that we didn't have. Mm. Or you had to be lucky to get your hands on it. Mm. And yes, toilet paper was one of those. I got a bidet and, now, just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, and then also people always argue, yeah, but the, the Scandinavian countries like Sweden and Denmark, they're socialist. They're, they're moving not. away from it, heavily moving away from it because they're. I think they right. were. Um, I think they were like socialist in the sixties and seventies, uh, yeah. but it then really went south. Uh, so they decided that um, a lot of stuff was getting was getting privatized, and uh, yeah. uh, government was getting less control about for uh, over things. Um, and they're paying pretty high taxes to afford all those, all those social welfare constructs that they have, like all the kindergarten and all the schools are free and the universities mm. and stuff. So um, don't just follow what somebody's telling you. Um, try to take a step back and you know, just do your own little bit of research. Don't believe everything you see or find or hear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's pretty just, good advice. Yeah. <laughs> But I know it's hard. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks, thanks for it. coming on again. And uh, yeah. putting yourself out there is always a courageous thing that a lot of people have a hard thing, time doing. So you should feel proud about it that. Is. I wish more people would do yeah. it. Um, so thank you for coming on. And I will see you next time we have class. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Have a good well, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, have a good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Warrior's Den podcast. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You're listening to The Warrior's Den. Warrior's Den. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga turning lambs into lions.